Hi, uh, this is Marty, and uh, welcome to my podcast. Um, so I've always wanted to make a podcast, and now that I'm kind of uh, stuck at home for the next few weeks and with a lot of time because of online classes, I thought, well, why not just give it a try? And so you found your way to my very first episode. This is my pilot. Um, and as, we're, as we speak, I'm actually studying for my econ final. Tomorrow I have uh, the final for Intro to Microeconomics. And uh, one topic in this class that I've been really fascinated by is the idea of game theory. And so we started learning about game theory when we were analyzing the different market structures. And there's kind of like four main ones that we've been talking about. And they're on a range from like a perfectly competitive market all the way up to a market with just one firm, which is like a business that sells a good or service. And in that market, it's just a monopoly. And in between them, there's um, monopolistically competitive markets, where it's like one step up from perfectly competitive. And then there's oligopolies, which are like a step down from monopolies. And what an oligopoly is, it's a few firms that make strategic decisions based on the other firms. And why that's different from like a monopolistically competitive market is because when it's competitive, the markets just do, or the firms just do whatever is best for them. They don't really care about the other ones because there's like so many little businesses competing. You just kind of have to think about yourself. But in an oligopoly, the businesses are like so big or there's so few firms that they have to like think about what the other people are going to do and then base their actions on what the other people are thinking about. And um, so game theory is like a way to analyze what the best um, outcomes are like based on the other people's decisions. Um, so generally in game theory, you'll like create a matrix and uh, it's in the ones we did, it's just a two by two matrix and you just kind of analyze like two firms options. And so for example, if um, we took like Adidas and Nike and we said, well, both Adidas and Nike are like thinking about starting to make curling equipment. They're both going to get into the curling shoe industry. Um, what are their profits based on what the other firm is going to do? And so we might say that they have two options. Um, they both can either, or each firm can choose to either go into the industry or not go into the industry. And so what you do to analyze their decisions is you draw a two by two matrix. So you just have four little squares. And let's say horizontally, it's going to be Nike, and vertically, vertically, it's going to be Adidas. And so there's two columns for Nike. One of them is go into the industry, and one of them is not go in. And then there's two rows for Adidas. One of them is go in, and one of them is not go in. And there's an intersection between where Nike goes in and Adidas go in. And we might say that both firms will earn four, I don't know, dollars. Um, and then if you go to the right of both go in, it would be Nike doesn't go in, but Adidas does go in. And in that case, Adidas will earn $8 and Nike will earn zero because Nike didn't even go in. And then if you go to where Nike goes in and Adidas doesn't go in, Nike will earn eight and Adidas will earn zero. And then if you go to where neither of them go in, they both earn zero because nobody even made curling shoes. And then what you can do is you can look at all those different options 
and you can find what's called the dominant strategy for both firms. The dominant strategy um, will occur when there's like an option for a firm that's better no matter what the other person does. So like in both cases, they'll pick this strategy because it'll earn them more money. And so if you think about Nike's options, we'll just say first, what happens if Adidas goes into the market? So if Adidas goes into the market, Nike can either choose to go in and also earn $4, or Nike can choose to not go in and earn $0. And so we know for a fact that if Adidas goes into the market, Adidas goes into the market, Nike will also go into the market. And then well, we can say, well, what if Adidas doesn't go in? If Adidas doesn't go into the market, Nike can either choose to go in and they can earn $8, or they can not go in and they can earn $0. And so we also know that if Adidas doesn't go in, Nike will go in and they'll earn $8. And then the same is true for Adidas. You can say, well, if Nike goes in, Adidas will go in because they'll earn $4 um, as opposed to not going in and getting zero. Or if Nike doesn't go in, Adidas will go in because they'll earn eight as opposed to zero. And so since both of these firms have dominant strategies, you know what both of them are going to do, which is go in. And then that like intersection on the matrix is what's called the Nash equilibrium. The Nash equilibrium was created by like a mathematician, like John, John Nash Jr. or something in like the 1830s. And basically it's the place where the dominant strategies like coincide or intersect. Um, and it's really interesting because sometimes the Nash equilibrium like isn't the optimal place for both groups. And um, when you have a matrix where like the Nash equilibrium like isn't the best place, um, for Adidas and Nike going into the curling market, it is because like both of them are in four. Um, but there might be like another situation where they both intersect at like four four, but there was like another option where they would have intersected at five five. But because of their dominant strategies, they don't end up landing there. And when you have a matrix like that, it's called a prisoner's dilemma. And so you might have heard of the prisoner's dilemma as like a riddle or um, just like kind of a mind game where there's two prisoners who like committed a crime and the police put them in separate um, interrogation rooms and then they tell them, all right, um, you either have to confess or not confess to this crime. And the options are, if both prisoners confess, they, they don't know what the other person is going to do. And so they have to like decide what the best um, strategy is. If both people confess, then uh, they both get like a little bit of time in prison, um, maybe like a year. If one person confesses and the other doesn't confess, the person who confesses gets off easier. And the person who doesn't confess uh gets a much much harsher punishment because they're they're like lying um it's like an incentive to get them to confess and so the person who confesses would get like um they'd have to do like volunteer like um do some service in their community community service <laughs> and then the person who didn't confess um gets five years in prison and then if they both don't confess um, they get two years in prison. And so you can think about it like if if you're one of the people 
one of the prisoners, um, you don't know what the other person is going to do, but you can like think about your options. If the other person confesses, then you definitely want to confess because your options are either one year with a confession or five years without a confession. So confession is what you want to do if the other person confesses. And if the other person doesn't confess, then you have like a huge chance. You don't even have to go to prison because if you confess, you'll just get community service. So you can see that the dominant strategy is just to confess like right off the bat. Um, oh, I explained it wrong. <laughs> okay. Because the way I explained it just now, it would have been both people confess and they both get a year in prison. <laughs> and then if they didn't confess, they would just both get two years in prison. But in reality, I, f I flipped the numbers. It should be if they both confess, they get two years in prison. If they both don't confess, they get one year in prison. That makes it a prisoner's dilemma. Because now there's an option that's better than the Nash equilibrium. Because the dominant strategy is to confess. So both people will confess and they'll both get two years in prison. However, if you were like guaranteed to know that the other person wasn't going to confess, then of course you wouldn't confess because you'd both just get one year in prison. And so that's that's where it gets interesting because there's like there's like a way to tell what you're supposed to do, but you also know that it's like not the optimal decision um, for like both parties. And so I'm actually going to interview my friend Maggie who's studying economics at University of Puget Sound because she introduced me to this really interesting example of prisoner's dilemma. And so I'm going to call her right now. Okay, how's it going for you? Pretty good. So I um, have already explained like the concept of um, just basic game theory and like Nash equilibrium and prisoner's dilemma. And I was wondering if you would mind explaining um, kind of the premise for golden balls and like what the payoffs are for the participants. Yeah. Um, so golden balls is like you're competing for a cash prize. So usually it's like we can say it's $100 or something like that. And each player has the option to split or steal. And splitting means that you're essentially saying I'll take half of the pay the total, so like fifty bucks. Um, and stealing means I want to take like the whole hundred. But if both players pick steal, nobody gets anything. If um, both players pick split, you each get half, like you wanted. And if one player picks steal and the other player picks split, the p player who picks steal gets all of it. Um. So if you made that into a matrix, you'd have, like, split, split would be 50-50, steel, split would be 100-0, split, steel would be 0-100, and steel, steel would be 0-0. And so basically um, it might sound like splitting is better because you'd get 50 and the other person would get 50, but um, the dominant strategy is actually stealing because your payoff to stealing is always higher or equal to your payoff to splitting, yeah. um, regardless of what the other person does. Yeah, so like if, if like player A chooses steal, mm -hmm. then the options for player B are to split and get zero or to steal and get zero. Yeah. 
but like if player A chooses split, then the options for player B are to steal and get a hundred or split and get fifty. Yeah. And so like it's always better to steal. Exactly. Which is kind of crazy. And just as an example, I like pulled up that that like funny clip you you showed me yeah. um, from like the from like the actual game show. So I'm gonna play it. One hundred percent. I'm going to pick the steel ball. Sorry, you're going to... I'm going to choose the steel ball. You're going to take the I want you to do split, and I promise you that I will split the money with you. Well, after you've took the steel. Yeah. You're going to take steel. Yeah. I just thought that was super funny. Like, I was just, like, really confident. But, like, if you analyze the all the options, like, it, it makes sense what he's saying. Except for... Yeah. I guess you can't, like, um, you can't count on the other person to pick split. No. But I think that's why you have to convince them that you're going to steal. Oh, that's true. Because if you make them think that you're going to steal it, then they're either going to get zero or zero. Yeah. Um, So they might as well pick split just in case. Because they could get 50. Yeah, that's crazy. And it kind of like, it brings up like the idea of collusion, which then, that's Mm -hmm. like the way, that's like the workaround of the Nash equilibrium, right? Yeah, kind of, I think. Um, yeah, you're basically, I think, kind of consorting and, like, getting more information if you're colluding with someone else, um, whether or not they know it. Oh, that's true. Yeah, the other person might just be, like, at your mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you. That was, uh, I was just hoping to, like, illustrate a little example yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Good luck on your final tomorrow. Thank you. All right, bye. <laughs> so, huge shout-out to Maggie for doing that interview. Um, thank you so much. That was awesome. And at the very end, we got into something kind of crazy with Game Theory, which is the idea of collusion. And so what collusion allows the firms to do is to get out of the prisoner's dilemma. So, like, imagine if you're one of the prisoners and you're sitting in, like, your interrogation cell and you find that there's, like, a hole in the wall and you can just, like, listen to the other guy being interrogated. And if you, if you like, heard him say, like, he wasn't going to confess and he didn't say anything then you'd know that the best option for both of you is just for you not to confess as well. Or like even better, if it was like beforehand, um, before you guys got arrested, and there was like an enforceable way to make sure neither of you were going to confess. And like this could be like an example of organized crime or something where like nobody, they like, they know like if they confess and they screw the other person and then they get out of jail, like something bad is going to happen to them. But, like, this happens in the real world with, like, um, huge businesses or, like, in the case of OPEC, which is, like, this international organization for um, oil exporting countries, oil and petroleum exporting countries, I think is what OPEC is. Um, Like, Saudi Arabia has this massive oil reserve, and basically they've created this um, coalition of, like, all these countries, and they just collude to not sell a lot of oil, and so the prices are higher. And the way Saudi Arabia is able to enforce this, we like talked about this in my econ class, is that 
um, they like get together every so often and they like set limits for all the countries that are in this group. And if one of the countries uh, doesn't agree to their limit or they like they like end up breaking it, Saudi Arabia will just like release like a ton of oil onto the market and they'll just plummet the prices. And they're able to do this because they're like so wealthy and they have so much and the other countries like can't afford to not be selling their oil. And I just think it's really crazy that they're able to like impact the market in such a big way. Um, normally like at a national level collusions not allowed and that's what there's like a lot of lawsuits about is they found out companies were like colluding on prices because um, in an oligopoly you can do that there's like so few firms that you can just agree to like raise your prices and if everybody does it like it'll fly um, people won't have a choice if they want to buy this product um, but internationally there's no way to punish the countries that are in OPEC like the only way would to be not to buy their oil and uh, the world can't not buy oil. Um, and so they're able to like make a ton more money. And I just think that's like a super interesting example of collusion. One other way companies are able to like work around this Nash equilibrium is through price matching. And so sometimes you might have seen like a business advertise that they'll match like the lowest price of their competitors if you can like prove that somebody else is charging something for an item, we'll like drop it to the same as them. And it's crazy because this kind of makes it seem like the company that's offering this discount is like the lowest price provider, but actually they're like a higher price provider. You know, they'd prefer just to sell it to you at whatever it's priced in their store. But the other business is like the lower price provider, but you can like buy it from the higher price provider. And so that's why it's kind of a wacky idea because they're able to just like ensure, well, we'll, we'll charge our high price and we'll make the profit off that, but we don't want to lose out if somebody else is charging a lower price. And so we'll also charge that price if that's what people are going to buy it at. And it's just, it's just weird to think about like the way they can have two strategies at once and ensure that they're still going to make money. And one last example, you know, I've kind of run out of stuff we talked about in class because it's just like intro to micro. But, <laughs> but one example I was thinking about today is I was watching um, episode 11 of season one of Avatar The Last Airbender. And in this episode, uh, Avatar, Sokka, and Katara like come up to this canyon. And originally, they're just going to fly straight across with Appa. But then it turns out there's this canyon guide who's like this old guy who's an earthbender and he's like kind of sassy and he's pretty funny. And there's two tribes that need to like get across the canyon and these tribes are like arguing. Apparently they've had a feud for like hundreds of years and <laughs> Katara steps up and she's like, she's like, everybody, this is the avatar. He's going to solve all your problems. <laughs> and so Aang is put on the spot. And he tells the tribes that they're just going to cross the canyon and like their elderly and sick people are going to get to fly across on Appa. And this canyon guide is like, okay, we're crossing uh, in like 10 minutes. You have like 10 minutes to eat all your food because if you bring your food into the canyon, like the canyon monsters are going to kill us all. <laughs> and so in the show, like people, you know, they like get out some food and they start eating it. But you're like, there's no way they're, they're going to give up their food. And it's kind of a, a prisoner's dilemma because neither tribe wants to give up their food because they don't want to be hungry for like the day that they're crossing. 
but also if they don't give up their food they're like running the risk of being eaten by monsters but they also hate the other tribes so they think that the other tribe is also going to bring their food and so i was thinking we could just work this out on a matrix so if you have um on the horizontal um columns rows of the matrix let's say that's tribe a and the vertical columns are tribe b and their two options are to bring food and to not bring food and so if both tribes bring food they're all gonna die so the options are just die die um, if neither tribe brings food they're both gonna be hungry so hungry hungry and if tribe A brings food and tribe B doesn't bring food then oh you know what I'm realizing is that if one tribe brings food they're both gonna die anyways however the tribe that brought food isn't is gonna die not hungry <laughs> the tribe that doesn't bring food is gonna die hungry so maybe we need to add that um, so in the in the not bring food not bring food it's die hungry die hungry in the, <laughs> in the bring food not bring food the tribe that brought food dies satiated and the tribe that didn't bring food dies hungry and so let's see if we're analyzing tribe B and tribe A didn't bring food then tribe B wants to bring food um, because then they die satiated um, because they're gonna die either way if they don't bring food Right, I said, okay, so if tribe A brings food, then it's either die hungry or die satiated. If tribe A doesn't bring food, it's either, oh, maybe this isn't a prisoner's dilemma. It's either die satiated or just go hungry. So tribe B's answer depends on what tribe A does. And that's... um there's a mixed strategy. There's no dominant strategy here because they have to see what the other person does before they decide. And then obviously since the matrix is symmetrical along the diagonal, tribe's answers are going to be the same. So I think this problem was maybe a little more complicated than I anticipated. But if any of you are really good at this stuff and you know the answer, uh, let me know because I'd be curious to see what the what the optional route was for these uh, for these tribes in Avatar: The Last Airbender. And I think what ended up happening in the episode was they both snuck food, <laughs> and then the the canyon crawlers smelled it, and then um, originally Aang like fought off the first one, and then later on in the episode they decided um, they could just ride the canyon crawlers out of the canyon. They like hopped on their backs. And I think the food actually like helped him out, so that makes the matrix even more a little, even a little more complicated. Cause, <laughs> cause you know they got out faster, but there were like a few minutes where you're pretty scared. You're like, uh oh, they're all gonna die. <laughs> and Aang was the only one who was hungry because he didn't know either tribe had brought food. But um, yeah, that's about it for my first podcast. You know, thanks to everybody that <laughs> stuck with me all the way. My goal for this is just to um, challenge myself to 
learn about new topics and discuss them with you guys here. Um, and yeah, you know, I have a few more finals, so maybe I'll be talking about those. And then if you have suggestions, just let me know. And I'm looking for like a, some like nice podcast art to like um, advertise for it. I still haven't come up with a name. Um, so I'll be thinking about that for the second one. And also maybe some intro music. I'm not sure about that yet, but I always like it when um, podcasts or like audiobooks have like intro music at the start. It's always, it's always a nice way to like get into it. So thank you all for listening and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.